Welcome to Managing Marketing and today we're going to be uh, having a conversation about where the rubber hits the road because I'm uh, lucky enough to have uh, Tom Skadidis here who is a B2B marketer and a social selling expert. So welcome Tom. Great to be here Darren. Look, um, you know, it's interesting for me because uh, a lot of people are inclined to think of B2B as the poor end of the marketing mix. It really bugs me how B2C and you know, brand advertising is seen as the sort of lead and B2B is the poor cousin. Why is that? Well, when we say poor cousin, usually we mean it receives less budget, a lot less budget than B2C marketers get. And also when you work with B2B marketers, you find that most of the budget they give you uh, as an agency, for example, is campaign-based or quarterly-based rather than over 12 months as a retainer. So the reason for this poor cousin status, uh, there are a few, but probably the biggest one is B2B marketing and, uh, and organizations in general are seen as sales-focused, sales team-focused. And it's the sales team and the sales leaders that are seen as the heroes of the business and the marketers uh, range from uh, uh, well-regarded all the way down to the Department of Arts and Crafts or Coloring In Department. Yeah, very much a, uh, a support role to the sales team because that's right. the sales team is, in most organizations, where the money actually hits the till, isn't it? That, that's correct. And, and if you speak to, the, to most CEOs, they'll tell you that they'll speak to the sales leaders uh, 10 times before they speak to the marketing leaders. Mm. Um, that's changing, but it's changing at a pace that I'm not <laughs> very comfortable with. I'd like to see a faster adoption of, of marketers as being critical business builders, but that's the reason why. If sales is driving B2B organizations, then why would we invest uh, a large amount of budget in the, in the marketing department uh, as opposed to consumer where the website and other digital and offline channels are seen as the actual sales channel? See, I thought it was being a copywriter. I thought it was because when I worked on uh, B2C, I got to make a big television ad. And when I went out socially and people would say, oh, you work in advertising, what did you do? I, I could point to the television ad. When I worked in B, uh, B2B, uh, I was doing brochures. And when people, oh, you work in advertising, what did you do? <laughs> did you see my brochure for uh, those plumbing uh, fittings that we sell to architects? Yeah. You know, it's, it, there's also part of an ego thing in there, isn't it? It's not just a financial Look, it is it, a whole bunch of reasons, Darren. And also, if you look at B2B marketing, 80% of it, and I realize people might disagree with my you know, number of 80%, but I've been in this segment for a long time, and for my, in my opinion, 80% is events. Mm. Um, you speak to B2B marketers, what are you doing? Events mm. and email. They're thrashing emails out to their existing database. So if you look at marketers' B2B budgets, usually it comes down to smashing their existing email list or uh, event the, or events and the uh, ubiquitous golf day <laughs> yeah and then you and you then you get the rest now that might not be 80% for some companies it might be 70 or 60% but I'll stand behind the fact that the majority of b2b marketers budgets is around events 
And those events are set up for sales teams to network, you know, rub elbows and close deals. Build relationships. Yeah, that, that's right. And uh, the adoption of uh, digital channels and social channels especially is lagging because of the, mm. that focus on the, 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 the you know, number one uh, son or number one daughter of salespeople being salespeople and not marketers. Yeah. Um, look, we'll get to that in a minute because that's really interesting, the role of uh, social media. But let's go back a step because, you know, it always amazes me how people go sales and marketing, whereas I'm inclined to think it's marketing and sales chronologically yeah. in, in building relationships. Um, what, what is it for you and what do you think the relationship is between the two? Yeah, so in my heart, uh, if you look at my heart, how it beats, it's probably 65% salesperson, 35% marketer. Mm -hmm. But I try in my approach and uh, everything I do to to use marketing as the front end. I believe that it's marketing and sales um, because everything we do is marketing and the way we even uh, uh, sit with our prospects um, is marketing. I often call salespeople in-person marketers. Imagine if we actually change the job title from sales manager to in-person marketer. Uh, I realize that sounds a bit wanky potentially. Or, rela or relationship marketer because or, that's what they're doing. That's right. Um, I, think it I think that everything we do, every single thing we do is, is marketing, whether it's marketing the corporate brand or marketing the personal brand. Uh, sales for me is actually the outcome. <laughs> Sales is what you see on the balance sheet or the the income statement. Uh, it's not actually a process for me. Everything is marketing, mm. and sales is more of a is more of a, a financial result. Yeah, um, Mark Ritson, Professor Mark Ritson, has an interesting way of distinguishing marketing and sales, and and I disagree with him on one. He says because of this they could never work together, right? And that is marketers are all about increasing margin. You know, adding the value to the product that you're selling so that the customer will pay for yes. the perceived value. Salespeople are usually incentivized on volume. They want to sell as much as possible, even if it means sacrificing margin to do it. So they want lots of options and they want lots of opportunity for flexibility to, to be able to sell by meeting the customer's needs. Whereas marketers are about making exclusive products because exclusive as in, you know, this is the only place you'll mm, get it, mm. is where you can create margin. But he says the two are diametrically opposed. I don't think that makes it impossible for marketing and sales to work together. I, I, I agree, it, it doesn't. And by the way, I think that those behaviors are manifested because of their job descriptions mm. and their KPIs, which have been set by people who don't know better in many cases. So I don't blame them for exhibiting those behaviors, but even if we agree that those behaviors exist as they are, I really think it's about ongoing training and conversation. And that might sound a bit weak and fluffy, but how many times have you heard of uh, a CEO forcing their divisions to sit down every two months and have that ongoing conversation or force this, make this a KPI or every month. I don't, I, I'm aware of many companies where marketing and sales still have that antagonistic relationship. I would take the whole sales team and put them through a week of marketing training. Mm. And I'd take this, the marketing team and put them through a week of sales training. I'd have marketers go on the field and sell their hearts out. And I'd have the sales team sell nothing for a week and just do marketing. And then, I mean, I reckon that will produce some great dividends for a company. 
There's a, a story about a uh, creative director, Australian creative director, who said to a, uh, a, a automotive client, "I want you to think of me as your best salesperson." He goes, "Good, you can start on Saturday <laughs> at our uh, central dealership, <laughs> and let's see how many cars you can sell." Um, you know, it's like, yeah, I think uh, we need to be careful because also there are different skills. They're complementary, but they're different skills in building uh, a, a desire or a relationship that will lead to a sale and actually. Mm. the relationship that creates the sale, isn't there? Uh, ag- agreed. Again, goes back to me, uh, goes back for me to back office marketers, in-person marketers. Yeah. Some people are better at in-person marketing and other people are better uh, at back office marketing and I think that they're complementary. So, you, from my perspective, you're the king of social selling because the first time I heard about the concept of social selling and everything I've ever read online about it is written by you, Tom. So that makes me uh, think of you as the expert. So what is social selling and why is it still appears to me to be in its infancy? Social selling has a lot of definitions and I'm just another one of those. My definition is social selling is the process of using social and digital channels to build your brand, build your company's brand, meet more prospects and customers, and generate more meetings and deals. Really then, if, if that's what I'm saying, it's social marketing for sales enablement, mm-hmm. or social media marketing for sales enablement. And if we take that further into the very basic truth, it's how to be a greater salesperson and marketer at the same time. So if you took the greatest salesperson and marketer in one body, human body, what do they do? They can do that through social media because yeah. it scales them. Mm. It scales your brand, it scales your content, it scales your relationships, but it's just a tool at the end of the day. Mm. So um, do you see the use of it? Because it's interesting, you called it social and, and online, I think it was, or digital, yeah, right? right? You didn't use the term social media. Because one of the things that I think people struggle with is a lot of marketers use social media as a media. And in actual fact, my personal experience is that it's much more powerful as a social platform or channel as a way of engaging people. Is that the way you see it? And is that how you need to think about it to make social selling work? I agree. I I don't think about social media. It scares me, actually. On a personal level, I will admit to this. Although I understand and use every social channel, I find them intimidating on a personal level because I'm used to, I'm 45 years old and I grew up without a mobile phone and I'm used to just calling people or spending time with them at the cafe, uh, what we're doing right now. So uh, I use Facebook only as a photo album. Mm -hmm. And I occasionally write nice things, but usually it's using it as a photo album. So I'm not a really great social media user. For me, social selling is using a tool. It's a better hammer. <laughs> it really is a better tool. And the truth is, um, people say LinkedIn is, is social selling and LinkedIn is a fantastic tool, but there are other tools. And as long as I keep finding tools that make me a better sales and marketer or marketer and seller, I will keep using that, and if LinkedIn uh, is no longer relevant, I will use uh, Twitter or other Mm -hmm. platforms. I don't even call it social. I use social selling because everybody knows it as such. I just call it great sales and marketing, and this tool just happens to be one of many. 
So for me, it's still about offline. I'm a bit of a dinosaur, but I'm a dinosaur with, a, with great tools. Yeah, but I think what you said earlier, it, it allows you to scale. That's right. right. You can reach a lot more people. You know, um, Trinity P3 has 21,000 Twitter followers, uh, and, and I personally have about 10,000. You know, that's more people that uh, I can engage and interact that's with right. than I could ever imagine making 10,000 phone Correct. calls would be impossible. Correct. Uh, email, you know, databases of 15,000 marketers and, and advertisers. You know, it, it allows me to scale. But the other thing I liked about it was that you talked about social as a way of building brand reputation and taking that all the way through to getting the appointment. That's right where the sales or transaction happens. That's right. You know, surgeons, kidney surgeons, neurosurgeons, thoracic surgeons, they don't do selling. They do great work. Yeah. They know their product. And most of their leads are inbound. Um, I like the analogy of trying to be a surgeon um, and not have to use outbound. And I admit I use outbound a lot. But my use of outbound has decreased over the years as my reputation grows and inbound grows in its place. Mm. And um, I think one of the reasons that salespeople don't use social selling as much, going back to your point earlier, a question about why is it still niche? I think most salespeople struggle to just even hit their basic targets in real life. I, my opinion is between 50 to 80% of all salespeople are not hitting their targets. And if they are, it's inconsistent. I think, and this might be controversial, but I've lived this industry for so long, most salespeople are not uh, well-suited to sales. Yeah. Or their companies are so brutal and they have such ridiculous KPIs that they can't achieve them, which in itself means they shouldn't be in those roles. So whether it's the company's failure or their personal failure, most salespeople should not be in sales. It is my belief that in the next three to five years, sales roles will become less and less. There will be redundancies. There will be firings because salespeople should not be in those roles. They should be repurposed or, or, or fired or, or made redundant and be let free to find the roles they're made for. Mm. And one of the reasons for this is technology will make these roles less critical like marketing automation and social selling is hard mm. you know how hard i work at social selling i don't use social selling as that blue pill to work half let to, to work 50 yeah. percent less i work my ass off because i'm so persistent like a dog with a bone and because i know my product and because i persist in not just sending one email but i'll follow up twice yeah I'll connect with people I don't know, but I'll use a personal script that takes me eight minutes to write. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm that kind of guy. That kind of behavior is not social selling. That's real life persistent behavior. That needs to then cross over to social selling. If you are the sales guy that's not hitting targets in real life because you're not persistent or because you're not an expert, social selling will not fix you. In fact, 
Uh, Joe Rowley said this, uh, if you suck offline, you're going to suck more online. <laughs> well, you've just sucked at scale, really. <laughs> That's right. You suck at scale. Yeah. If you have bad spelling, if you write in an arrogant manner, yeah. if you uh, share the wrong type of content in real life, if, you, if you're just uh, not good at your job or display the wrong behaviors, you're going to magnify this incompetence uh, on social media. On the other side, if you are persistent, know your product so well and listen and think about your customer's pain points, social selling will work for you. But that's probably 20 to 30 percent of people in sales. Yeah. It's interesting because in, in this conversation, one of the things I've noticed about your language, you know, 80 percent, 20 percent, 65, 35 um, there's a very much a mindset around metrics, measures, and, and the like. And yet, that's one of the areas that I personally see that a lot of marketers struggle with, is this idea of having performance metrics and actually holding to them. Now, you did bring up a minute ago that sometimes those metrics are unachievable, you know, and they have to be realistic metrics that you're trying to achieve. Your objectives need to be realistic. But why do you think so many people uh, are sh uh, shy or, or nervous about having performance metrics? Well, I think the metrics are just not discovered because there's no rigor in the first place. Um, take social selling. Um, I, I, as a marketer, fund a social selling program with five of my sales colleagues. And I'm, I'll, I'll admit to being sometimes useless at entering data into the CRM. I've gotten much better over the years, but I have been and continue to be in some cases useless at it. And the problem with that is uh, marketers fund a social selling program, the sales guys uh, generate uh, 20 leads, but then don't enter them into the CRM or enter them using the wrong attribution field. So instead of marking them down as social selling, they mark them down as events or some other field. Small things like that, Darren, you'll, you know, hard to believe it, but it happens every day where the marketer then runs reports to find the attribution of leads and revenue against particular channel. And when social selling, it comes up, they find maybe one lead or $20,000 in pipeline, when in reality, the channel produced a lot more than that. So marketing and sales, because of the disconnect, Often, even when metrics are trying to be implemented, they're not because they're not being reported. And I'm not bagging salespeople here. I'm just bagging the whole system. Yeah. It's kind of broken when it comes to capturing these results. Yeah, because uh, I think there's also a uh, sense of failure. You know, people are scared of having metrics, and yet metrics are so, so important. You know, imagine, I remember uh, as a kid watching the Apollo 11, and they called it, the NASA calls it telemetry. You know, all of the readouts of how the capsule is performing as it blasts through space. You know, to me, business is the same thing. If anyone's running a business, they almost need that telemetry, that dashboard of performance so that they can constantly tweak it. And yet it seems that you know, when things are down, instead of working about how to optimise it, there's a real tendency to start blaming and finger pointing, isn't there? Which is normal human behaviour. Um, you look at marketers are often under budgeted, and, but they have high expectations. Their bosses have high expectations of leads. Sales teams continue to clamour for a high number of leads and a high quality of leads. Um, do, and, do our job for us. 
Well, it, some of them don't. Some of them expect yeah. to do a lot of their own demand generation. Yeah. I know when I show up to a CMO's meeting, I do my own demand gen. I don't rely on marketing to do it for me. But the system is marketers need to produce a high number of leads that are high quality. Sales people and account managers demand that flow, but, but marketers are not given budgets that allow them to invest in the right technology or the right channels. They go back to what they know, what they know will work, at least work well enough like events and email or telesales, which are increasingly becoming outdated channels. That doesn't mean they don't work, but they're increasingly becoming more and more irrelevant. Yeah. So the system is really uh, in trouble. And the only person that can fix it is not the head of marketing or head of sales, but it's the CEO yeah. uh, or the chief commercial officer. They have to figure it out that they have to create a directive that fixes metrics, fixes cooperation. If they don't, we're, you're looking at single digit percentage improvement over the years. And, and this is the big thing that came out of the US uh, late last year. There was a report on uh, CMO tenure had had dropped again and they interviewed CEOs as to what was the number one reason that they terminated a, a, a CMO in the past 12 months and it was failure to deliver growth. You know, and yet uh, many CMOs don't feel that they're directly responsible for growth. It's true. It's interesting, isn't it, that there's a complete misalignment and disconnect I, between the various parts of the business. And yet, if I had a rowing team, you'd have to say most companies have the teams all pointing four different directions uh, oh, and pulling that. hard on the oars. I love that analogy. I'm going to be using that in the future. I don't know if I'll give you any credit for it. <laughs> But um, I know a CMO, a very close professional friend, great CMO, who told me that within three months of joining a company, uh, he quit because um, he had been promised to uh, have budget and invest in channels to grow the business. And when he joined, he was given a list of events that the CEO expected him to uh, design and create and run, mm. which would have effectively eaten up all of his budget and turned him into an event marketer yeah. as opposed to a CMO. And uh, the CEO would not budge because that's what the CMO expected of marketers. So we really, really need um, uh, CEOs and, and, and chief commercial officers to just start understanding digital and why they have to stay relevant. And it has to come from them down. One of the uh, issues around this whole idea of performance expectation is you know, most, well, all listed companies will report on a quarterly basis. Private companies maybe on an annual basis. And you made the reference before that one of the things about B2B marketers is you'll often get your budget in uh, three monthly instalments depending on performance. How do you as a marketer or a, a social seller or a B2B marketer keep your eye on the short, the medium and the long terms? Because uh, or the long-term results, because that seems to be one of the, the biggest challenges. You know, the CEO, CFO are looking at what are we going to report each quarter? But a marketer has to be thinking not about just filling the bucket today, but how do I continue to set myself up to fill it in six months, 12 months and two years' that time? That is such a hard, a hard thing to do. But my advice, which my advice is self-serving and biased, but I believe in it. I don't see marketers doing this in B2B or even B2C, but B2B especially. I would sit down 
every fortnight with two or three agencies that I would go and literally source to come in and present their ideas to me. I've always given this advice to B2B marketers, which is this. If you're struggling time-wise to deliver a lead and you have to focus on short-term activities, keep doing that to keep your job and make your sales team happy and your CEO happy. But you need to also have a long-term view. So every fortnight, go out and invite agencies you've never met but have a good reputation to come in for free and run a whiteboard session for you. Tell them up front there's no budget, absolutely no budget, but this will allow you to expose your brand to me. So in the future, I know where to go if I have budget, but come in with zero obligation. Do you know how many agencies would absolutely jump at the chance? I know I would if someone said, Tom, I've got zero budget, but I wanna know about you and social selling, I'm there. And the infection that takes place during those sessions is brilliant because as a marketer, you start to get this holistic view, marketing automation, social selling, uh, banner advertising, programmatic, all of these channels and from really smart people. I don't see that happening. I don't understand why. And maybe because marketers are afraid that the agency guy after the meeting will start harassing them. But that's about expectation management, mm -hmm. isn't it? It's, yep. you can harass me in a month from now. Send me an email. Really, it's about expectation management, but so many marketers are afraid of the spam or afraid of, that's yeah, one tactic I recommend. Or they do not set the expectation up front because they think that the agency won't respond. You know, yes. I mean, a lot of marketers think that if they haven't got the lamb chop around their neck, the dog <laughs> is not going to play with them. That's you know, right. The dog will still play with you because dogs just like to be social. <laughs> and I know that's and I know that's a poor metaphor for agencies. I'm not saying agencies are dogs, but you know, I think there's an, a, a miss, a, an underappreciation of the enthusiasm and goodwill that agencies still bring to relationships. Agreed. That, are t that yeah, doesn't matter how much uh, we, the procurement and the industry push the agency's remuneration down, there is something about being an advertising person that you have to have a huge dose of enthusiasm and optimism that keeps you going each day. But also curiosity. Yeah. Marketers have to develop it. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to heads of marketing and I've said, we have an agency that specializes in social selling and we've worked with all these brands and we're, I'm told, oh, we already use LinkedIn Sales Navigator and our team is using it. And I, I'm just dumbfounded. Like, don't you think that you should at least get me in for a whiteboard session to find out something that we know Oh, but Tom, you're going to be selling me something and I oh. haven't got time and I haven't got budget and why would you, you know, you're just going to disrupt the whole thing. Where it's of course, it's, it's exactly right. It's disruption. It's, you know, are you going to sell to me? I think marketers, and forget me, but in general, be curious, seek out leaders or experts in their field up front, tell them, do not dare sell to me. You're going to come in for a whiteboard session. I don't want a demo. Yeah. I just want you to inspire me with where the market's heading. What should I know? If you can do that, then you're in my Rolodex set up for the future. I think that's what marketers need to do. One of the things about long term for me, for marketers, is that it's about consistent brand building, right? And it amazes me the number of marketers that still have a part of the budget for brand, which to me is ridiculous. You do not need 
brand in quotes, and I'm doing quote activities, because everything you do, every piece of social selling you do should communicate brand. You know, and we see it especially in B2C where people spend millions of dollars making this big glossy TV ad and blasting the message across all the channels about what the brand means. And yet no one bothered to, to align the day-to-day communications, the selling communications the, you know, to that actual brand. And yet you could actually take all that money, align all your communications to brand, and even the ones that are selling something, trying to get that appointment, could be uh, re-communicating brand. I have a friend, uh, again, another close professional friend, who heads up uh, or headed up the B2B division of a B2C organization, but he was the head of B2B marketing. And he would put big uh, billboards at the airport and I asked him, uh, why are you doing B2B marketing via billboards at the airport? Does the airport space provide you with a, a lot of leads for your sales team? Or are you measuring some other sort of value? He said, I have absolutely no idea what it's doing for us. And frankly, I don't think I should have placed it at the airport. But my CEO uh, flies a lot. He, so fly, he, he flies a lot yeah. and he travels through that billboard and when he sees it, he calls me and says, well done. Yeah. That is so ridiculous. Not that my f- professional friend is ridiculous. No, no, but he, he has to do that to keep the CEO at, happy. That is horrible stuff. Horrible yeah. that the it's CEO is such a dinosaur yeah. that he needs with his eyes to see the brand. Uh, and this, right. again, I, I had a client phone me up. They, they've moved everything online except the CEO's complaining because he doesn't see any of this activity. I mean, sales are good. They've moved online into a social selling engagement strategy. Sales are improving, but the CEO's upset because he doesn't see the brand anywhere. Why? Because he's largely a a Luddite. He he reads newspapers and he he listens to the radio and he doesn't see the activity that's going on. Often marketers don't stand up to to CEOs or or, or sales leaders. There's a fear, right? Mm. Um, Especially in mid-sized businesses where the CEO is often the owner. Mm. It really is hard, and I've felt this as well, where to stand up and say, you're wrong. You are a Luddite. You're a dinosaur, and I'm here to actually keep us relevant. I don't want us to go down the path of Kodak. I don't want to become irrelevant. I want us to become relevant. And to be relevant, you have to invest in channels that maybe you're not in. I know Gary Vaynerchuk um, has said one thing that I love. I I always laugh. Uh, uh, A CMO asked him, what's the ROI of digital? Multiple times. And he's on a video saying this. And she asked, what's the ROI of digital? How do I prove ROI of digital? And he responded to her, what's the ROI of your mother? Mm. Which is really funny if you think about it. It's quite confronting, but what's the ROI of digital? Uh, Who cares? What's the ROI of social? Who cares? This is uh, your Kodak moment. Are you gonna go, uh, are you gonna become irrelevant and bankrupt? Or are you gonna stay relevant? We all know digital is where we're moving and have moved to 
and it's here to stay. It's not about ROI anymore. It's about foundational yeah, business. I'd, yeah, look, I'd, I'd agree on one level, but I think every channel, you need to have some measure of performance because of we have seen way too many people pour all of their budget into particular digital channels and get no result. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's no different than pouring your money into television, getting no result or any channel. Agreed. There has to be some sort of measure. And you know, in a complex world, it's very hard to have cause and effect definitively. That's right. Yeah. But at least you should be able to see shifts in the metrics when you do things that you can then attribute to that's right. that activity. Uh, look, um, I, I, just I still use the Kodak example, though, uh, because... Uh, in the situation where I now companies are simply not investing enough. So whilst we should probably never go 100% digital because offline media and channels are still important, I still need to push that envelope and push that mm. gospel because simply not enough is being done, especially in social where I specialize in. I still find it hard to believe that uh, channels like LinkedIn or Twitter are still so underutilized and hopefully this podcast and other discussions will accelerate adoption. Well, we embraced a inbound marketing using social and uh, and content and and uh, you know and, and a lot of the techniques that uh, you talk about, and uh, it's made a huge difference. And and here's one of the metrics that I hold by: when we used an outbound marketing, our conversion rate was around thirty percent of leads. Right. Our inbound conversion rate is over sixty percent. Because people are doubled because the strategy itself helps qualify those leads. Yes. Because people are making the effort of coming to you. So to your surgeon's uh, metaphor, that's right. For example, that's that's what's happening. Look, we're um, I just noticed the time, but uh, this is always one of those questions that you know it's it's a bit you know. But you know, in the next two to three years, where do you see? marketing, sales, and social going in an ideal world? Uh, I don't know, don't know about ideal, Darren, but where I see it going is that introduction of marketing technology, artificial intelligence, um, uh, greater CRM adoption, and other marketing technologies will bring more inbound uh, leads to B2B organizations will qualify them better. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this progression will make the need for 100 sales roles less. I think that 100 sales roles today, uh, three or five years from now, you might need 50 sales roles to achieve the same type of volume mm -hmm. of revenue as you do today. And I think that we're gonna find uh, companies will save money on sales roles increasingly as technology grows and invest that money into more and more technology. And I believe that those sales and account management roles that exist today will become repurposed into other roles. Uh, they might become repurposed into marketing or into uh, technical roles. And, those, and many of those in sales will no longer be in sales forever. Mm -hmm. They will then move into becoming entrepreneurs and many of them should uh, probably become entrepreneurs or just find other vocations. But this is where I see things moving and I think social selling is one of many uh, technologies or channels that are moving companies that way. Well, 
Tom, thanks for your time. Thank you. It's been a fascinating conversation. So I'm just uh, making a note here. Uh, uh, vocational guidance uh, will cross off sales and journalists, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, no, I don't know about journalists, but uh, thank you, Darren. Mm.